Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the transfixed story with my friend, Drew McElroy. How's it going, Drew? It's going very well, Joe. Thanks very much for having me, sir. Excellent. I'm just very excited to have you. I invited you to be on my podcast about like a year ago, and it was in your LinkedIn and then at some point, your communications people said, hey, would you like to interview Drew? I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a form of logistics, right? Communications and, and making sure that those processes are fully flushed out is part of the challenge of life. But sorry about a year ago, but I'm glad we're- No, that today. was the same. I, I interviewed George Abernathy and I said, God, I reached out to you at Freight Waves and you didn't respond. I reached out to you on LinkedIn, you didn't respond. And then- Emerge says, hey, would you like to interview George? I was like, yes, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Those are big shoes to feel. So uh, certainly I, I can live up to the standard that George has set. Yes. So please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. So I, I'm I'm Drew McElroy. I'm the I'm the the co-founder and the executive chairman of Transfix. We are one of the original, if not the original, digital freight brokerage. We founded the business myself and my and my business partner Jonathan Salama in 2013. We were headquartered in New York City, although we've now opened a second office in Atlanta. Nice. And yeah, it's a very exciting time. We're we're very very rapidly growing business. Uh, we're over several hundred employees now. And uh, in addition to our core marketplace business in the last year, we've launched our first two standalone software products. We've launched a, a TMS for shippers and a fleet management product for carriers. So we are um, fully getting after it. And uh, so far, so good. So we're, uh, we're having a good time. That's for sure. Very nice. Before we get into more about Transfix, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Uh, <laughs> give us some career highlights before you and uh Sure, sure. I mean, this thing off the ground. I I grew up in New Jersey, so my I I got into this business because my my dad was in it, and so my my dad started a true like old school you call we haul freight brokerage out of the spare bedroom of our house in 1987. I mean, I was five, and so I I grew up around it in in blue collar central New Jersey, and. Frankly, I wanted nothing to do with the supply chain. <laughs> that was that was what my dad did, and I had, you know, I had made enough delivery appointments to Walmart by the time I was sixteen to never want to do it again. But it, you know, it's funny how life conspires. And so I, I was fortunate. I was the first person in my family to go to college, uh, and so I, I went to business school at, at, at Georgetown. And my wow, father, very nice. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great school. It was an unbelievable experience, and I, I was even more lucky because because of the success. My dad had had as a result of freight. I graduated with from business school with no debt, and so that's uh, what an amazing opportunity. And but the one rule my dad had had was, you know, you're you got you got four years, right? You're not on a five years soul searching journey. Oh, or anything yeah. like that. you've got <laughs> four years, and you got to get a job, young man. And because I was the first person in my family to go to college, I didn't really have sort of contextual touch points for like what I was getting myself into. So I thought. I wanted to work at a hedge fund. And then I started interviewing for jobs at hedge funds. And I realized very quickly the degree to which my personality would not fit that environment. So I pitched my old man as a, as a senior in college. What if I graduate and I get out, you know, I joined the family business. And at the time I would be employee number three. And my dad was employee number one and my mom was employee number two. And, and we'll invest some capital and we'll get out of the spare bedroom of the house. And we'll, you know, we'll really get after it. 
And so that was that was my first job out of college. He willingly hired you after all these years I, of knowing to be, you. To be, <laughs> to be direct, I'll never forget. He scared the hell out of me because he was an ex-Marine and, you know, had that look. But I'll never forget. He finally thought about it. And he said, you know, I've spent all this money on your education. I like the idea of you using that to make me some money rather than those guys at Goldman, right? And so, <laughs> you know, the, the first five years of my career were, were very interesting. You know, the first two years, I was literally like a headset wearing broker, cradle to grave, both sides. And, and my dad was like, okay, hotshot, you think you're cool? Well, you know, go and learn, right? And so I did that for two years. And then, you know, I, I formed enough of an opinion to like say, okay, well, here's where I think we should steer the, the family business. And, and ultimately that was that was away from freight brokerage because my perspective, even before I could articulate the vision for Transfix was old school analog freight brokerage was just not a good place to be, right? It felt like we were standing on the tracks and the train was coming through. And so we we sort of moved the, the family 3PL away from, you know, pure truckload brokerage to, to protect ourselves. And then, you know, in the intervening years, I, I my parents would tell you I've always I've always been a pain in the ass, right? I've always had tremendous ambition, push the envelope, do more. And that's what I was doing at my family's company. And and you know, they got to the point where they kind of sat me down and were like, hey, listen, this is our retirement. Okay. Like we're not building a TMS, you psycho. Like, let's just take it easy. And it was about that same time that I kept thinking about the decision we had made to move away from freight brokerage. Because in my mind, in our mind, what was coming was going to be very bad for, you know, sort of like the traditional analog brokers. But interestingly, no one had actually done it. And it had now like three years had passed. And so, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, there was an actual light bulb moment where it sort of all came together. And I was like, well, maybe we should do it. And that that sort of started the odyssey of figuring out what it meant to, to raise capital and start a, you know, a venture-backed technology startup and meeting my partner and and really getting everything off the ground. So was that your next next gig was to go and um, go and look for uh, the funding? That's exactly right. I left I left my parents' company in in 2011, and I, I jokingly refer to it as my real world MBA because I, I I don't I, never, I didn't go I didn't get an MBA. So I spent about 18 months, and this is not a romantic description, quite literally sleeping on couches in San Francisco and just networking my butt off because I had what I what was a genuinely fairly complete vision. Like if you talk to me then versus today, what Transfix is versus should be, there has not been that much change. But so I knew that part. But what I had no idea how to actually do was, you know, raise capital and build technology. I mean, I I, I literally remember an early VC I got in front of and I, I you know, I laid out the, the idea for Transfix and I the, the person was, you know, quite impressed actually and was like, okay, great. Now, you know, tell me about your traction. <laughs> I was like, traction what do you mean like i'm here to see you i need i need your money so i can and they were like oh that's that's not how this works at all right and so i i obviously had a lot to learn but what do you do right you you, net, you network and you hustle and you when you went out to silicon valley silicon valley and you went to look for funding did you just have like a powerpoint presentation or i mean what'd you walk out what what could you show me if i was a vc at the beginning, I didn't even have a PowerPoint. When when I first like had the idea and I like I had to get it out of me, it's so funny in retrospect. I wrote a business plan, like an actual in Microsoft Word, fifty page business right. plan, and that's what I actually had with oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody was like, "Bro, no, like you got to, you know." And so it turned into a deck. <laughs> but then it was exactly like that. I was like, "Oh, this is a beautiful deck." 
but I noticed you don't have any, you know, revenue or product or anything like that. And I, and I was like, well, yeah, you know, I don't have any money. Right? And so that was, that was an amusing uh, early, uh, you know, silliness. Kind of pre, you know, VC money being the norm and tech stars being the norm. There was all, I'm, I'm, I'm older, so I remember I created business plans. For, I did the same thing you did. I, I left school at 19. I started working in my dad's engineering business. And I remember developing those business plans. I mean, this is so long ago. I thought it was pretty high tech that we had a computer. Of course, there's no internet, but we had a computer that we could put it on. And it was like, wow, look at this. But what was weird about it, you could spend 100 hours on it and it's made no progress at all. That's the crazy thing about it. Well, that's, I mean, that's true, right? And like, I, I you know, I talk to a lot of founders of all types of businesses today and, and you know, I, I, I recognize it and there's, you know, it's, it's easier to like, oh, you know, we're not ready yet. We just got to keep working on the deck, right? Or, or you know, right. like the, the real trick to it all is move. And like, that's the, you got to take the leap, which is like the terrifying thing to do. Right. I think there's also a lot of ego. Not, and, and I think there's a lot of ego where you say, I don't want to tell that guy that I need money. I don't want to tell that guy that I don't have it figured out. And, but, but then at some point you have to say, but I need more money. Right. <laughs> so, so I think that this is one of the things that I've learned from interviewing a lot of founders is that they're willing to kind of step into this void where they say, I know. I don't know what's out there, but I want something on the other side and I'm going to walk through the darkness and I'm going to get a lot of branches in the face and I don't care. <laughs> I would agree with all of that, right? It certainly takes a, a, certainly a unique breed of insanity to sort of voluntarily go through all of this. But I would say to your sort of previous comment about ego, you know, you can go in with as much ego as you want, but you're not coming out with it. <laughs> certainly not alive. Like suppression of the ego is a very important part of this because- the reality is, like, I, I tell anybody who will listen to me, like, I am acutely aware that I am the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet. Like, I, I like to eight years ago, we had this idea. And here we are today, hundreds of people and hundreds of millions of dollars and everything else later. And like, you know, sure, I, I, I might have, you know, initially done some of the heavy lifting, but proportionate to the amount of work that's done today, I'm like, I'm, I'm nobody, right? Like, I'm just a cheerleader. And and here we are, though, we're on this amazing journey and we're making this progress. And and so I, I look at that as, like I say, like I'm I'm so lucky I, I have to pinch myself. And so, you know, for me, it's like it's pretty easy <laughs> to suppress the ego. And, and But like I understand for some, it's a it's a totally different animal. No, what, what I mean by that, when we think of somebody with a big ego, we think of somebody who's loud and, uh, you know, kind of uh, arrogant. And I think but there's another kind of ego. And I think we all suffer from some sort of ego problem. And the ego is the one of uh, I don't even want to admit that I don't know. I don't want to admit that I want that. Because I might fail, right? So there's all these kind of, you know, and, well, and for fear, somebody, fear of failure is certainly one that that can paralyze a lot of folks. And you know, I mean, I get it, I do. And like, and and the truth is, you know, if you if you take a, a leap and you miss, then you got to, you know, you got to take steps back. Like that's just right. true. And you know, some people don't want to do that, and some people can't do that from a oh yeah family oh, and life perspective. I, I like it goes back to I'm a very very fortunate person that I've been able to do these things and, and, you know, so far so good. And uh, you know, I don't, it would be, it would, it would involve too much ego to ascribe that 
to skill. So I'm I, I'm sticking with luck. <laughs> so yeah, that works for me. I'll say the luck is that you were born the way you were and raised the way you were because it's not luck that you were willing to be on that sleep on couches and walk into VC offices and be feel foolish walking back out where they say, what are you doing here? You're not ready yet. And you go, oh, I, I, I will agree with that. My, my parents did. I was very, very fortunate to be to be raised by my parents the way I was. And yeah, you know, to your to your point, right? Like <laughs> being looking foolish has never been something I've been particularly worried about. So. So how many VCs did you end up talking to and how many months did you look before you got oh, somebody who, who said, here's a few bucks, let's get started? Well, I mean, depending upon how you want to define that, it was it was a while, right? Like I really started in 2011 and we didn't raise any capital until, until, until 2014. But there's a, there's a more specific version of the story. I, I realized pretty early that in order to really do anything, I was going to have to find the person who ultimately became my co-founder and my partner, Jonathan Salama, because, you know, right, without him, without that function, I'm just, I'm all talk, right? And 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 so that's just not going to work, right? So the sort of division of labor was I talk, he builds. And so we met in the summer of 2013 with nothing, but that was sort of the real inception of it all. Is he from New York also? He lives in New York now. He's originally- or New Jersey? No, well, he no, he's he's Parisian. He was born in Paris, so he's a cranky French engineer um, who's amazing at what he does. But sure, he he loves to give me a hard time. There's no doubt about that. He's another one. I asked him a long time ago to go be on my podcast. No response. No response. No response. <laughs> well, <laughs> I well, wanted to talk to him about to that blockchain. I, to- I told you I wanted to talk to him about that blockchain article he wrote years ago. Yeah. But anyway, so before we uh, get more into the company, what kind of kid were you when you were growing up? Did you play sports? You were into music? What were you into as a kid? No, I was more of an athlete than a music person. My, I've referenced my dad a few times in this conversation. Obviously, he was pretty foundational. So my dad was a, an athlete and a, a better one than I ever was. But so from the very early days, I, I, I played baseball. I played basketball. <laughs> I played football. But when I was, I was five and we went to Pop Warner tryouts, they told me I had to play with the eight-year-olds. So my, my, my mother kiboshed that. So I didn't play too much football. But I was, I was always an athlete. But I, I really had a very sort of you know normal upbringing in the sense that it was like very blue collar very small town just just like about as normal sort of 80s 90s central jersey kid as you can be really did you have uh, part-time jobs when you were a kid a little bit a little bit my my dad had this crazy thing about education and so he always told me my job was my grades and as long as i did well with that like he he didn't give me too much of a hard time but i i did i had some early jobs my my most sort of early days job was I was actually an umpire for for softball and that that was a lot of fun you know meeting uh meeting all the, the people and, and just traveling around and all that but uh, you know I don't envy the the people who do that job today because it seems like parents have completely lost their minds you know I I had to deal with a cranky parent or two but you know it was whatever kid stuff but now it seems like people are threatening kids and everything else so, oh yeah yeah no, no, no longer for me but uh, yeah I was a I was a Girls softball umpire, and it was it was great because it, you know it's really great training to be a founder because you can tell you had a good job, you did a good job as an umpire. You know the way to tell is if everybody is equally pissed off at you, uh, and that's <laughs> that, that's sort of the same thing about being a founder. So it's right. uh, you know it's good training. Yeah, that, yeah, it's better than yeah. If that guy's too happy, I did something wrong. What did I got to go back? Well, and you're in real trouble when one side is is thinks you're great and the other side thinks you're not. Right? That's that's when you maybe you messed up a little bit. If everybody is like 
equally maybe happy, but more more likely like this guy is not so good. Then 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 you're spreading it around, and that's a pretty good job. So you started this company, and and so really, what, what the first load you started two thousand. 13 you said but you were really raising money even before that or and looking wandering around in the darkness looking for partners and looking for uh the way yeah what, what actually the the actual the full story was so i met jonathan and he was building the mvp the minimum viable product and we were planning to launch in january of 2014 and in, so in august i updated my linkedin profile as soon as Jonathan and I like officially became partners in sort of my euphoria, you know, CEO and co-founder of Transfix, right? And now, mind you, we had no logo, we had no website. So like my update of my LinkedIn profile was like a gray box, you know, but nonetheless, it was there. And and so his job was to build that. And my job was to build, or excuse me, to find the first shipper, the first carrier. And we were looking to raise like not VC money, but just like some friends and family money so we didn't starve. And I, my biggest fear was who's going to be our first customer, right? Because the old nobody fires you for hiring IBM thing, right? Like we were a small broker. No one knew who we were. Like we could talk a big game all we wanted, but for a shipper to say yes, it was going to be a risk. And I'll, 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 Joe, I'll tell you, I'll never forget. I updated my LinkedIn profile and within 20 minutes, my cell phone rings and it's a number I don't, I don't recognize, but these are the days where you answered from numbers you don't recognize. And I, you know, hello, is this Drew? And I said, yes, and I said, this is such and such. And I said, Oh my God. I said, yes, sir. Uh, this person was the SVP of global logistics for a, a major retailer. And I had met this person like once at like a CSCMP dinner. And he goes, "Wow." he goes, yeah, LinkedIn says you're starting a company. What is a transfix? And I was like, holy shit. And I was like, well, let me tell you. And I, and I pitched him right then and there. And all I hear from the other end of the phone is just breathing. And like, so I'm, you know, I'm pitching faster and faster and faster. And finally I said, you know, sir, please like, tell me, like, what do you think? And I'll never forget to the day I died, Joe, this person goes, Drew, this is fucking beautiful. How can I help? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, well, I could really use some freight. And the person goes, okay, I pick three loads up a day in Indianapolis. I bring them into my distribution center on the East Coast. I pay 1700 you match my rate, they're yours. We're in business. Oh my God. I said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't run the miles. I didn't say anything other than let's go. And and he and I'm having this conversation in San Francisco. And he goes, Okay, cool. I'll send you the tenders. Let's let we'll pick them up next week. And I and I and Joe, I go, Oh my God. I was like, No, 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 no. I was like, sir, you don't understand. We're not ready yet. I've got this French guy. He's building it. We're, we're, you know, and I said, I'm in San Francisco. I'm coming back to the East Coast. I'll get him. We'll come to your office. We'll scope it out. And we'll, we'll be properly ready to live, go live in, in January. And he goes, January? No, you've got me all excited. We have to start next week. And I said, no, 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 we, we can't. I don't have anything. And he goes, well, you've always been a smart kid. You'll figure it out. And he hung up on me. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, we're dead before we even start. And Joe, this is a completely true story. And I'm having this conversation in San Francisco in one of the apartments, the couches I slept on, and it was a friend of mine's. And he overhears this story and he goes, man, you got, you got your freight. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm dead. And, and this, this dear, dear friend of mine is a medical doctor. And I'll, ne I'll never forget, he, he carries one of those like leather house calls. Yeah, the Marcus Welby bag. <laughs> right, yeah, and, he, and he grabs it and I'm, and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, oh, dude, you know, Knock it off, man. Like, I'm freaking out, but I'm not having a heart attack, Doc. It's like, it's okay. And he looks at me and he goes, shut up. And he grabs the satchel and he opens it and he pulls out his personal checkbook. And I was, and he goes, Whoa. 
<laughs> looks like you're going to need some capital to get this off the ground. And I was like, come on, man. And, and, and he wrote me a check for $200,000 on the spot. Wow. And that was, that was the start of, that was the real start of the company. We had freight and we had enough money to like get a surety bond. Cause I got freight surety bonds. So we had to go get the bond and, and the whole thing. And, and we were off to the races and we were, we started shipping that next week. And, and we really, you know, candidly, most of the technology was not in place yet. And we, we told the customer, like, listen, like, we're not going to BS you. Like, we'll start, but what we've described isn't going to be ready until January. And they said, no problem, no problem. And so we started shipping even really before we had the technology. And, and January came and we did indeed roll out the tech. And then February came and we onboarded our second shipper. And we said, okay, we think that's, you know, that's enough real traction to go and meet the VCs. And that, and that's, and then we did. And two months later, we, we, we raised a seed round of just under 2 million. And then from there, it's off to the races. Wow. Here here to date, we've raised, you know, a lot, like well over a hundred million. So it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit in the last. Whoa. You know, one of the things that seems to be a constant when I talk to founders like yourself is this idea that I'm not ready for this, but it's happening or, and, and being kind of open to it. And I think, you know, just even with my small business, I think all the time, like everything's done at 80%. And then, but then you're launching it. You're like, ah, no, it's not, not done. It'll be done in two months. And then I keep thinking, nope, just got to keep, you got to ship. That's the old Steve Jobs thing. Artists ship, right? They, they ship the product and it's, it's a little painful because you're like, oh, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? It's not quite ready yet. But you know what? It's fantastic that you first I've had the experience with your parents, but having that friend who trusted you and write that big check, that must, that speaks not, not only to his, his uh, personal wealth at that minute, but his, his <laughs> belief in you, his belief in you. I, was, uh, I think that's exactly correct. Right. It was, it was, and that's, you know, I was, I was talking before about being, Drew's not going to screw me on this. Well, I mean, right. Like going back to being the luckiest guy in the room, like I take the trust that people have with, with, with like great humility. Right. And I, and I, I take that like sort of old school leadership stuff very, very, very seriously because it matters. And like people, <laughs> people have entrusted us with, I mean, at this point, like I just said, like hundreds of millions of dollars, nine figures, right? Like that's a lot of money. And, and, and more importantly than the money, frankly, is there are hundreds of people who have decided to take their career and attach it to us and, and come on this journey with us. And the people on our team are, I, I admit that I'm biased, but I, I will take the people on our team over anyone, like, you know, through the fire, right? Like this is our team and we are so unbelievably lucky to have them. And so I, I, I take that responsibility to do right by these people incredibly seriously. And, 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 you know, that, that sort of servant, servant leadership model, right? Like, you know, I'm the last one off the boat, not the first one, right? Like because that's that you ask people right. to join you, you have to, you have to do right by them. Uh, that's just like a sort of foundational thing that I believe in and take very seriously. I think that's so important. I've said this to many young people, including my kids, is when you get a, you go to work for a company in a lot of ways, especially big companies, they're like battleships, right? And I liken it also to like the Titanic. They're, they're trying to keep that boat up. And they said, oh, yeah, we got to seal the lower decks. Well, there's people down there. Yeah, well, we're sealing the lower decks. And, and, and I always say, you're not driving that boat, right? You're not driving that boat. They could drive it into an iceberg. 
that's the challenge sometimes with working for a big company. So it's nice when you hear uh, an owner CEO say, I take this actually very seriously. By the way, we all heard recently some CEO let go like 900 employees via yeah, Zoom. I, I, and I, I guess in that. a pretty rude manner. And I was like, well, that's a nice, that's a nice thing to happen in mid-December. Thank yeah, you very I much. I, I'll tell you, Joe, not, not that you asked, but just to, you know, to be direct about it. Like the hardest moment in all of this in the last 10 years, by far, it's very easy for me to identify at the onset of the pandemic. We, we had to do a very small reduction in force because we just didn't know what was coming. And we had, you know, you talk about sealing the lower floors, right? Like, I mean, I, I, we had to, we had to let a very small number of people go, but they were people who, you know, they, they, yes, they were the, the, the first, the most recent hires and things like that. But like, it's it still, they were people who themselves had not, not done anything to deserve that. And like, yes, we did everything we possibly could to make sure they had severance and landed softly and all that. And it was, a, it was a very small number, but, but to this day, I, I still feel that in here, you know, and so I never, I never want to do that. If I, and, and you, listen, you got to take care of the business uh, or else everybody dies. Right. So like, I get it. But over my dead body, if we, if we can avoid that, we will. No, and I, I will also say this. I, I've, I've had a ton of jobs. I've worked for myself. I've worked for others many years. I'm an automotive guy, mostly. And let people go, obviously. I've been let go. And one of the things I've always said is, like, when automotive had that big crash in 08, 09, I left. And it was the best thing in the world for me to, to leave. And it was painful. I didn't want to. I, I did not want to be separated from that big fat check that I had grown used to. Right? It's scary, right? Like, it's like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. I, I, you know, I drew, I had spoiled myself by living indoors and eating every day. And my kids were no different. Like every day they eat. So, and imagine that. Yeah. And, but what's crazy about it, it was the best thing sometimes when you're not, it's not the right fit. So it's not letting people go. Sometimes you go, dude, this is the thing for you. I love you. Go do something else that is a better fit. But it, anyway, so you had this, this is the beginning of your business. So talk a little bit. Of, well, first off, what, you t- you alluded to it earlier. This is a technology company, very much. But uh, why do people go to you rather than to say your competitor? What 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 uh, what do they see in you guys that they're not seeing elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, we listen. We we think that there's a lot of like thematic change here, right? And like you can see this in any industry when you take what is a analog market and you digitize it there are just structural benefits that 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 accrue right and and we talk about them in our case there's sort of three main tranches right and then there's others but like though the three main tranches are two are economics and one is experiential right so on the economic side i mean everybody knows the stats right something like 30% of truck miles are empty right there's a tremendous amount of dwell yeah. time and there's all this waste right and if you ask yourself why at least to my view fairly straightforward you can understand what happened right like Freight brokers grew up, right? And everybody was like, okay, we, we need, we got more freight. We need to hire more brokers. And everybody had these little books of business. And so everybody is covering one load at a time for the most part, right? I know I, I got this load. I got this driver, match them up, right? And that's, listen, that's what happens in an analog world. It's not a bad thing. It was the best that we could do back then. But in, you know, in 2021, there are, I would suggest better ways to do that, right? And so what we do is we have a a tremendous number of drivers in our network, hundreds of thousands of drivers that we collect data from either via ELD or via mobile app about locations and preferences, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And and on on the shipper side, we are integrated with 
hundreds and hundreds of the largest shippers, right? And so we see the supply of demand and the supply of supply of trucks and loads at the specific geography that they exist at in real time. And so from there, right, you know, apply your your buzzword de rigor, whether you want to say AI or ML, it's really just a combination of modern data science techniques where you match many trucks with many loads and you do it with an eye toward utilization and minimizing dwell. And where there is dwell, you recognize it up front and you properly charge for it. And so you get the sort of economics just better, right? I mean, we talk about monetizing the waste, right? And that's what it really comes down to is we we talk to carriers and drivers about positive ROI, not by talking about the rate per mile, but by talking about the number of loaded miles you're going to get per week, the number of turns you're going to get per week. And you will drive more revenue to that truck and that driver if you're not sitting or driving empty or whatever it may be, right? And so that that unlocks a tremendous amount of value because so much of the miles are empty and the waste is, and, and the time is spent sitting. And so you, you start eliminating real measurable amounts of that and the economics change dramatically, right? So have you guys grown as a freight broker or more as a platform? So, you know, the, 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 the term freight broker is yes. decidedly old school, <laughs> right? Like, so like, but in truth, our core business heretofore has been arranging truckload shipments on behalf of, you know, by and large, large shippers and and sort of medium-sized trucking companies, right? So taking the sort of old school freight brokerage model and making it a digital marketplace, which is to say everyone can interact with it online or via mobile. It's all underpinned by transparency and data and all that good stuff. But it is the core business is arranging the movement of freight on behalf of shippers and doing so in this fully digitized way. And so just to sort of, you know, finish that off, right? Like, so you eliminate, you eliminate dwell and empty miles or you significantly impact them. That adds economics back into the network. Right. At the same time, if you think about a traditional brokerage PL, right? Traditional brokers are making 15% gross margin and then they've got four hours of paperwork to push with every shipment. So they have 15% gross margin and EBITDA of like a hundred basis points because it's so much paperwork we automate the vast majority of that, right? Because we don't have to call and say, where are you? We don't have to manually cut an invoice and nail it. It's all done by the system automatically, right? So you just pull out all this cost from every transaction. And again- So the cost per load in effect keeps going down because you keep getting faster and better with the tech. That's exactly correct. And then the third, so those are obviously purely quantitative, you know, money, money metrics. The third one, is sort of more qualitative and it's more experiential, right? Like, and it's a silly example, but you know, when was the last time you called Domino's to order a pizza, right? Like you, you don't, right? Because it's easier to just go online, bep, 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 and now you can just see it right. and you don't have to deal with any BS. It's truthful. You're not waiting for somebody to get on the phone. And, and that's the same, the same thing we apply here. Everything is visible in real time. Things, exceptions are managed by exception rather than having to harass every driver on every load. And then that's at the load level. But then over time, we capture like literally hundreds of data points on every single load. So if we move 2,000 loads with you in a quarter, we can come to you for a quarterly business review and reveal things to you about your supply chain that you as the shipper don't even know. And it's all in, in, in service of making, helping everybody be better, right? Like, oh, did you realize like, 
your facility X has like, you know, an average loading time of four hours and you're, you're, you're paying two hours of detention on every load. Like maybe, right. maybe you do know, and it's easier to do that than like, fix yeah. it. but if it's not, we want to work with you on how you can be the best. And that, that's the way we approach everything we do. You know, that's so true. It's what it, I think where, how we add value as third-party logistics and as brokers has traditionally been, I paid 1800, you pay 2,500 and I make 700 and then I got my cost, right? I see companies like yours are going to start driving maybe different models. And, and, but I think another thing is, I think you're going to say, yeah, but where we add value is different. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't have a whole bunch of guys banging the phones. I have a whole bunch of guys who've got a global view of your freight and are going to talk about how I can save you even more with technology, not with, I got the best characters in the plane. No, I, I, to be, to be direct, I have pretty strong opinions about this, right? Like I, I sort of think the days of, you know, exactly that, right? Well, no, you're at 18 and they're at 17, like, okay, great. I mean, that, that's fine. And I understand that like, not to be trivialized that like there is a place for that and making sure you get the right price is important. It's It's been the model that worked. <laughs> but the reality is everyone, every broker, every carrier, every shipper, we're all price takers. None of us are actually big enough to make this market, right? This is all a true economic marketplace, supply and demand, blah, blah, blah. And shippers who, you know, or anyone, right, who tries to like consistently beat that, there's two ways. And the easy way historically is to just sort of fudge it, right? Like shove it onto the broker, let them shove it onto the carrier because it's sort of opaque and nobody really knows what's going on and we'll just lower our price. But as the world modernizes and everybody gets transparency to who's doing what and what's being paid, a lot of that goes away, right? And so now the way to get the right price is to impact those who serves you cost, right? And which is to say differently, be shipper of choice. Get somebody loaded and unloaded in 30 minutes and I guarantee you will give you a better price. The problem historically is that nobody could quantify that, right? The shipper would be like, well, I, I loaded them. And guess what? They still charge me 1800 right. Like, why should I do that? Fuck it. Let it, like, let it not worry about it. And the carriers would be like, I have no way to, to believe in that. But when you have a true market maker who is taking GPS data and giving that back to everybody, it's not our opinion. No, no, no. The last 48 times we've loaded in that facility, it's been an average of 96 minutes with a one standard deviation of 18 minutes on either side. Like we know what it is and we price accordingly. Like when I talk about these QBRs, we can go to shippers and say, listen, not for nothing, but you're shipping in the same industrial park to the same industrial park 800 miles away as another company in the same place. And you're paying $200 more load. And the reason is because it's not just about the load. It's, it's not every load is created equal. And you talk to folks about this and they go, oh, okay, right? And oh, like, yeah. I, I would suggest that this is a, a brave new world and, and, and a good one because it now rewards good behavior. Like it, it, it incentivizes everyone to do the right thing because you won't feel like you're not getting credit for it anymore. And that, that sort of brings everybody together and makes the network more efficient. And a, a more efficient network makes all of us money. Full stop. And, uh, no, that, you hit a lot of good points here. And one, one that re, uh, reminds me, when I was the general manager, COO of a, of a 3PL. And when I got there, first thing I remember just is saying, oh, well, 
these margins are too low. We just kind of arbitrarily started notching those up. And then I would track that margin every week. But then, and, it, and we did very well, mostly less than truckload. But one of the things that hit me is that a friend of mine owned a company and they were shipping. And he said, talk to my guys and we'll move all our freight with you. And they were constantly bitching, constantly. But then I, I'm also hearing from my guys that, geez, oh, Pete, they're expedite constantly. Four pallets went on a full truck, right? I, I, I finally... I got so tired of their bitching. I said, give me all the bills. Give me all of the invoices. I went out. They were actually in the Detroit area. So I go visit them. I said, here's what I paid for these loads here. And and they go, oh, you're going to show us what you made? And I go, yeah. I go, and I I hope to make the same amount. I mean, it's I'm not killing it here. They're like, well, you made 800 bucks here. I go, yeah, but I lost like 300 bucks over here. And I said, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the expedites. I want to talk about all these LTL shipments that went in full trucks. I want to talk about the nonsense. What's going on here, right? Like, and and yeah. maybe a, a lot of times, a lot of times people don't know, right? It's like it's like you realize, you know, on the truckload side, right? It's like you realize you're sending me these tenders five hours before pickup, right? Which means you're Which getting you're paying more, number, yeah. right? Like, and if you knew two days ago, send it to me then because it will impact you as well because we will price it accordingly. It's a different world when the system is in, in charge of making decisions, right? Because humans are only capable of processing so much data. And it's, again, it's not a flaw. It's just reality, right? Like computers are better at taking billions of data points and, and churning through them and going, this is the right answer. And they're not always right. We have plenty of humans in the loop, like checking and all that good stuff. But humans are better to make apologies and have lunch with. <laughs> well, and, and, and I just fundamentally believe a digital network being driven by like digital rules and all that in 2021 is going to have a better marketplace outcome than an analog, right? And you can see this in anything. You can see it in food delivery. Hell, you can see it in in stock trading, right? Like. There's nobody left on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, right? Like it's all computers and high frequency trading because they're better at those sort of decisions than a person in a cubicle can be. It's just it's just how math works. Right. So one thing you you started to hit on it, and I think I want to explore it a little more. We have this idea, like right now, we all have this consumer technology. We're walking around with it. So if I want uh, I want to ride home from uh, somewhere, I, I use Lyft. If I want to order that pizza, Domino's, Little Caesars, there's the apps, right? We, we're used to these consumer technologies, and all of a sudden, the experience with is is digital and it's intuitive. And and what we what I always say is. When I first started working, I used technology all the time. I was in engineering. We had technologies, but it was back office stuff. Only I touched it. And then when I managed a little 3PL, we had technology. And it was kind of revolutionary for us at the time. Our customers actually interfaced with our technology. I think we're getting to the place where uh, we know it with Amazon. We know it with Zillow. We know it with Lyft. That the app and the experience has moved kind of to that platform. Is that somewhat what's happening in our industry? Is that happening with uh, Transfix? Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I think a, a thousand percent right now, and I'll and I'll tell you two separate, but 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 I think equally telling stories, right? And they're they're you know both directly related to our business. So we've launched our own software products in the last year. We've launched a TMS on the shipper side and a an FMS, a fleet management product on the carrier side. And you know, if you think about the TMS, right, like. Obviously, there's a, there's a whole host of like goodness and value, but like speaking very broadly, two things, right? Like one, being a TMS provider 
that is also the execution provider, right? It becomes one neck to choke, one source of truth, no more of this, right? But leaving that apart for a moment, because that's not the point I'm making here. Have you seen what most TMSs look like, right? Like, and like, I'm not trying to take a shot at anybody, but like, you look at this and it's daunting. It's like, how the hell am I going to use that, right? And creating just what I would call a modern TMS with modern UI. With the right interface, the intuitive feel. Right. All of a sudden, people who you don't have to have a butt ton of training on this TMS. And, and, and like now the shipper can bring in somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a young person who, like your point, has used Zillow or ordered delivery. And it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. Right. I go in, I get a price, I click on it. And it happens. And then on, on the carrier side, if you think about the average, the average truckload carrier, because of how difficult their life is. They don't even have that. They, they're, you're still using like laminated maps and have like three landline phones on their desk. And, 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 you know, we come along and we're like, gosh, like for the love of God, like this is, you don't have to do all of this. Like there's an easier way to have a better outcome for a more reasonable amount of work. And, and so, you know, you give them this product and again, it's the same thing. It's intuitive. It's like, wait, you're saying I can put all my trucks on this and I can just track them. And I can dispatch them and I can bill and pay. And yes, you can. And it's like, well, 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 and then there's always, because of the nature of our business, there's always some sort of skepticism. Like, well, you're going to charge me for this or you're going to do like some sort of end run on me. There's and a dipsy do here. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I understand that because again, historically, everybody was sort of after their own little piece, but ours is an entirely different philosophy than that. And, you know, it's, it's frankly, it's why you raise venture capital and it's why you build a team that isn't entirely driven on these massive commission structures, right? Like we do it as a build an overall network and everybody wins. So I have no desire. I swear I have no desire. If our, if our rate is 775 to the truck, our rate is 775 to the truck. If I'm under the impression that the driver for whatever reason will accept 750, guess what? We're still paying them 775, right? Like it's not, it's not some like, weasel game right like it's just about creating the best overall network and letting everybody win we created the wrong incentives to somewhat and again the system worked but if i if i was moving your freight it's to my if i can get it i'd say yeah i get i get thousand bucks every time i work with drew and so that's why i answer the phone and he thinks i'm an all-star and at some point i'll lose him because someone's going to wake up and find and know out exactly what's going pay. on right <laughs> And again, I get it, right? Like back in the day, you got a bunch of people who were just like hustlers, right? Like my dad, right? Like, you know, it's like, I, I just, I want to make a good living. I understand that. I, I So I'm, I'm very quick to make sure that we I evolved. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to say anything bad about anyone. It's more just when, when technology evolves, sometimes the opportunity for new solutions get created that are just a level above what existed before and was possible before. That's just how it goes. Right. So I think what we have, you definitely talked about new business models. We're all, everybody in this business, everyone listening is going to have to find, well, the guys who move the freight, they add value that way. But I think the people who are the intermediaries are going to have to find new ways to add value because the idea that I know where the trucks are and you don't, uh, that doesn't work anymore because they, they can figure out where the trucks are. I mean, that is the most, that is the most like basic table stakes <laughs> explanation, right? Like, yes. Okay. It's better than the widgets rotting on the dock. I grant that. But like, it's only a little bit better, right? And like, the biggest change from my perspective is not actually in the supply chain. The biggest change is what's happened on the shipper side. Because in my personal view, 
the shipper's definition of like self has changed. Like I would suggest that back in the day, shippers viewed their job as selling product. In 2021, I believe that shippers view their job as delivering product. It is no longer like, okay, we sold it, just send it down to ship it and it'll get there when it gets there. Clearly the expectations of consumers in an e-commerce driven world, an omni-channel world have expanded dramatically and and there's you know the the, the the you can make a very compelling argument that winning and losing as either a retailer or as a brand is entirely dependent on the degree to which you weaponize your supply chain and that is a lot about a tremendous amount more than what is the invoice for the shipment say right like if that's the way you're looking at your supply chain you're like the frog who's the water temperature is going up and you just haven't realized it yet. You're being boiled, man. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is new in, 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 my, in my, during my career is we have consumer technology. We just discussed all of them, all these cool apps that we use. And I, that is informing what we do at work. That, that, that There used to be, well, this is what I do at home. This is what I do at work. Now, you know, everybody talks about the Amazon effect where, and I've been in meetings where, I uh, helped advise large 3PLs on uh, select or large shippers on selecting 3PLs. And they will say, you know, Amazon does this for me. And my current 3PL doesn't do this. Lyft does this for me. And my current 3PL doesn't. That. And so this consumer tech is driving our whole industry because they there's no way to tell them you can't have it. They're like, I get it at home. What do you mean I can't have it? Well, I mean, right. I mean, again, <laughs> imagine you're the, you're the guy who's like the inbound receiving supervisor, right? And you're like, okay, last night I ordered pizza. And it was late and my $11 pizza, I was able to get a real time update on. But meanwhile, today, my $190,000 worth of goods are missing. And like, no one will even answer the phone. Like, it's like, what, what, that doesn't make any sense. And, and again, just because it's always been that way, doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. And I, I think we're in the midst of change. We also have in the more intuitive technology too. And a, a, a friend of mine, uh, big OEM, Big, big company, billion-dollar company. They had to create parts and service, and he took over the parts and service area. So they had this old system where people would go in, and there was this long – you know, I mean, I, I envisioned like a, a DOS-based system where you're like – Right, a little green – You're tapping over. And that, three for menu three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said – I want that to be like Amazon, build it like it's Amazon, build it. And so all the guys were like, no, you, you know, the parts and so he said, I want it to be Amazon. So then all the dealers and distributors called him right after and said, when that launches, should we all come to uh, town to uh, be trained or can we also get trained online? He goes, there's no training. And he goes, no, 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 I need, he goes, it's going to be Amazon. And, 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 he, and one of his rules was, I don't want training. Our old TMS with that horrible interface, not, when I say this, I say the whole industry. We had interfaces that didn't feel quite right. It required training. It required a whole bunch of screens. And now I think what we're all expecting is I want this to be intuitive and easy, visual. I don't want to have to train anybody. I want it to be like, yes, of course, I get this. There's no need for it, right? Like what we do is complex enough, right? Like the software is supposed to make it easier not harder, right? Like, I mean, I remember back in the day, right? Again, not not picking on anybody individually, but like, oh, that's not a shipment, that's a load. The load is on the carrier side, the right, shipment is right. it's like, what? Like, who came up with this stuff, right? And like, again, you can understand why, right? Because TMSs originally were built for shippers, right? And then they were like, oh, there's three PLs. They might want to buy some software. Let's Let's take this server side, single client architecture system and like, just like, 
shave the edges off and like jam it into the you know the, the square peg into the round <laughs> hole. And it, and you know that's that's not great, right? Technology used to be a back office thing, and you could tell your employees you have to use it. That's not the way it works anymore. You, you have it's customer facing. So let's switch gears. I know I'm going to lose you in a few minutes. So so you, you've grown this big company, you and Jonathan and the team you've got, and you've raised all this money. I know there was trials and tribulations along the way. You alluded to us having to let people go and being a, a painful moment. So what? how do you deal with the ups and downs? I'll say the failures, because I say this all the time when I talk to founders. It feels as if when you're talking to them, they go, I failed this, this failed, this failed, that failed. But you're like, but you're wildly successful. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I was I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Actually, I I I I, I kid you not. We were talking about all the things <laughs> that have gone wrong, and it and it's exactly that. It's like yeah, but you know, nonetheless, to your point, here we are, right? And 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 I actually view, I'll, I'll be I'll be totally candid with you. If I, if we were sitting here and all of these things weren't wrong, I would be more terrified than I am because, like any good growth company, we have significant. A significant ambition for the future and like specifically, you know, an shorter term horizon for 2022. And I view all the things that are screwed up as opportunities to improve the business and, and make us do better because all of this is a mess. So yeah, I'm the past of all this is existential terror. I mean, that's, that is the overwhelming emotion and, and feeling of, of being a founder is you're constantly worried that the floor is going to give way. But that's okay. That's that's what we signed up for, right? Like that's that, I tell our team all the time. We are trying to do something. You've gotten used right? to it. Like now. this is not easy. This is not just go get a job. We are trying to change the world. And if it were easy, everybody would do it, right? And so this is not supposed to be easy. And there's going to be hard. You're days, on a mission, you know? man. And there's like little things you do. Like I, one of my tricks is on a really bad day. I just I literally will say to myself, okay. I've had enough of today. <laughs> like, and it doesn't really matter what time it is. It can be like, all right, I just can't. Like, it's it's just too much. Nothing is going to change today. I'm calling it. And I'm getting a good night's sleep and I'm coming back tomorrow. And it's amazing how much that the rejuvenation of not continuing to look at things with stale, frustrated eyes is amazing because then you get you actually feel like you get a break and you come back the next day and you're like, ah, oh, whatever. We've dealt with worse than this, right? And you just and you just keep it rolling. That's excellent. So, so we talked a little bit about this earlier. So lucky versus good. And my, my feeling is you, you've been lucky kind of where you were born and your personality and, uh, you know, the experiences you had that, I mean, having great parents, having your dad in this business, going to Georgetown, I could look at all that as lucky, but there's lots of kids who've had great opportunities and done nothing with it. the, the quote I selected for my high school yearbook was, uh, onto those who much is given much is expected. And and I and I was I was wandered I was wired that way from my dad. My my dad my dad came from from nothing. My my family really came from from nothing. And 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 freight, oddly enough, had like the, my parents talk about when I was like five, they they literally had to like delay buying me shoes because they didn't have the money until my dad got the next paycheck. Right. So like I I come from very little. I told you I was the first person in my family to go to college. And somehow along that journey, my dad, who was like the real spark, right? Like he was able to take what was a, like a lower middle class family and 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 jolt us into upper middle class right or or whatever right i was very fortunate and i i, I 
Nobody's nobody's right. rich well, in America. And, and, and honestly, class. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I know rich people. We we were not rich, right? But we were we were very fortunate, right? Like very Successful. fortunate. There's no there's no debating that. But I I I take that again very seriously. And so I yeah, I've always been I've always been wired in a way that like it's not about it's not about money or like self-aggrandizement or anything like that. It's it's about you just you get one shot at life, right? And like, I, for whatever reason, I happen to know this freight thing in a sort of unique way. And so it's what I know, right? If I was a surgeon, I would go do that, but I'm not. And I know this. And I I feel compelled to do the best I can on behalf of sort of like all of us, right? And like, that's that's the theme in our company. It's it's not like, oh, we figured out a way to pay drivers five bucks less or five bucks more or whatever. It's, it's about creating a right. better full solution from the current system and therefore improving the lives of everyone who touches it. And, and, and again, I told you before, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch alive. Right. And so I have, we have all this tremendous momentum. We have an unbelievable team and I, and I, and I get to, you know, talk about like stuff like this, right? Like what comes next and like, you know, how lucky I am. Right. Like that's not such a bad job, you know? So I, I, I take that stuff very seriously. So before I lose you, What's what's next for you? What's next for this industry? And uh, what's next for Transfix? Well, I think it's a really exciting time. I, I, I really genuinely do. And, I, and I, I, I think, though, this is where people start to think I'm a little nuts. So I, 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 we started, you know, eight, whatever it is, nine years ago now. And the one, the one thing I got wrong was the velocity at which I thought we could go. Now, objectively, we've gone very fast, but I feel like we've gone at a snail's pace, right? Like by by now, so our ultimate vision is, you know, to to digitize the entire world supply chain. And so that's that is sort of our northern star and where we are going. As we've talked about, we have done a good job getting started in domestic truckload and 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 sort of now we're beginning to add to that with the with the software products that are allowing us to sort of move up the stack uh, with our customers and our carriers but you know if you'll forgive me if you'll permit me a, a sports analogy it, it feels like we're in the bottom of the first inning like this is just getting started oh yeah this all this is just uh, the whole industry we we always tend to think things are complete <laughs> as they are this is the emphasis. So to answer your question about where this is going, I think the next 20 years are it's like the supply chain is going to be the most fascinating industry on the planet over the next 20 years. Because right now, globally, right, how many non-asset based supply chain companies are there? I mean, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I I would suggest to you that we're headed to a place where there's like tens. I I, I think we're in a world where the di- digital platforms are going to get root and then begin growing those roots outwardly because unlike analog businesses that struggle to drive efficacy with scale that's at the core of what digital businesses do and so we're our unit economics are already beginning to like trump the unit economics of large incumbents and they are by size you know orders of magnitude bigger than us still and it's already starting to kick over and as we continue to drive density look out world yeah. Well, you mentioned the the tens. I kind of think the same thing because when we talk about those, uh, when we talk about those empty miles, you mentioned thirty percent. Somebody was just on my podcast saying it's twenty percent. Somebody said it's eighteen percent. Said it came from thirty. It is twenty. It is eighteen. But regardless, it's going down. But how do we keep driving that down lower? And I always the reason I jump onto empty miles is because it's bad for 
for the bottom line. Somebody's paying for that, but it's also bad for the environment. I think they said now that trucking is 5% of greenhouse gases. They're going to come after us, fellas. And the best place to go is get rid of empty miles because it's good for all I mean, of us. Even, even, even like infrastructure, right? Like we hear about crumbling bridges and roads. Well, like, you know, 45,000 pound class A trucks driving over them unnecessarily probably doesn't help with that either. Right. So I think you just described what's going on next for the industry. I think you described what's going on next for Transfix. What about you personally? Oh, I don't know, man. Like that's, that's, I mean, I, you know, that's kind of the truth, right? Like I, I am, I am on this journey and I, 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 going back to the leadership things that we talked about earlier, right? Like I subjugate myself for the company and that that's intentional and deliberate. Right. And I'm, you know, listen, that doesn't, that doesn't, I don't mean to make myself out to be some sympathetic figure. I'm, I'm having the time of my life. There is no more, intellectually stimulating job that I would be good at that I, that I can think of. Um, I'm surrounded by the most amazing team on the planet. So I, I, I'm not going anywhere. I, we have a, we have a lot to accomplish. And like, I, 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 the analogy I talk to folks about a lot is this sort of like the mountain. Right. And I, I, I view the early days as you're pushing the snowball up the hill, you know, gravity is not your friend, but you get to a certain point when you crest and, and then the snowball starts rolling down the hill. And I, and I would suggest that that's the fun part. And that's the part that we are like, we're sort of on the precipice right now. Like we've been sort of rocking and rolling, but it's, it's, if not starting to roll, it's close. And I, and I would say it is starting to roll and it's only going to build, build momentum. So it's a tremendous amount of fun. And I, I'm not one of those types to like believe their own press or anything like that. Like I, I, I still maintain that I am, lucky and and you know chance favors the prepared mind right and so the way to continue to maintain that luck is continue to work our asses off focus on helping everybody how focus on helping carriers and drivers and our shipper partners and if we do that you know i think we'll continue to be rewarded and that's that's you know it's not about it's not about the rewards but it's a good way of measuring the progress and the value you've created so that's that's I'm a simple guy. I I, I really I really I, I don't know. I, this industry, for whatever reason, it's just been. It's been a splinter in my brain for as long as I can remember. And, and so my, my, my job is to, to 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 help, I think. And then it's, so that's all I'm trying to do. So I know I'm going to lose you here. So I'll 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 wrap this bad boy up. So the, where you guys are, your sweet spot is all that that good truckload freight. Nothing high touch. Yeah, we work with a tremendous number of shippers, big and small, retail, CPG, manufacturing, food and bev. You know, we're we're pretty open minded, right? As long as it doesn't have a heartbeat. I mean, we even do move has and things like that, right? So it's 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 like truckload freight and uh, on the shipper side, right? And 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 those shippers who want to, you know, truly understand their supply chain and make it a strategic weapon. Uh, we find make our make our best partners, whether they be big or small. And then on the carrier side, we work with everyone, but we find that, you know, medium sized trucking companies, you know, where the dispatchers can use some help and the drivers can use help getting home and things like that. We we find that we all we we add a lot of value in those in those situations. Excellent. Excellent. Drew, I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know I'm going to lose you here in a minute. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, although you did not answer my LinkedIn. I apologize. For a while. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll also put a link to Transfix, uh, any of your marketing assets that you guys give me. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks very much for having me. And, and hopefully, you know, this industry is small. So hopefully we run into each other in person one of these days. I'd love to buy a beer. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. That would be great. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.